I want you to picture a fictional movie scene for a second to set you up for the sermon here. You're hanging out on the porch with your family at night and eating a meal when all of a sudden there is a a bright streak of something glowing that enters the atmosphere and it has a big flash of light beyond the hill uh, that that the hills that are sitting in front of you and and you are the man or the man in the scene needs to go figure out what the heck has gone on and what help he can provide or or defense he needs to have so the husband needs to go load up his firearm he does that and then drives off and he's the first one to find his way to a crash site and when he arrives there is no one in the cockpit and no one in the cabin, but there is a trail of green blood all the way into the forest. <clears throat> now I want to ask you, with this fictional scene, what is the impact of that event that I've just described? What is the impact? It's not only that there's now a crater in, in the ground, and there's a ship to deal with, craft, a vehicle to deal with, but rather there is a new creature which must be dealt with in some serious life-altering sense. I want to assert to you today and, and do from the scriptures is I want to <clears throat> say that true biblical application describes the life-altering impact of the scriptures in your life. True biblical application describes the life-altering impact of the scriptures in your personal life. And so today, for an outline, uh, the whole sermon will be aimed at coming to a, a particular a set of applications. I'm not going to drill down into one in particular, <clears throat> uh, but I am going to build on what I had preached on last week. So if you didn't hear that, sorry, <laughs> you have to go back and listen. Uh, I will do my best knowing that some have been uh, gone or, or whatever for a week or so. And so I, I will try to draw out the meaning, at least explain what the interpretation of the particular text was and draw it to application so that you can follow along. If you need to catch up, that's great too. And you can do that. But what we want to do today is aim at application. And I think a necessary question to begin with, uh, application happens everywhere in your life. However, we want to ask specifically about sermon application. What is it Exactly. Sermon application is when a pastor preaches how the message of the Bible impacts you and changes you. God's word, in fact, was spoken for this purpose. This is why God has written his word. Application. Okay. The purpose of of altering what you believe, what you desire, what you will, and what you do. The Bible is written by God so that you would be a different person every time you encounter God's word in all the various capacities of your life. So what 
if that's what application is, what is good application? Well, application is the product of exegesis and theology. Let me clarify these just really quick. <clears throat> this means that application is both difficult and, I said here, invasive. Application is both difficult and invasive. It's difficult because it requires the pastor to, uh, to translate, I, I take, translate from the original languages. It requires a pastor to properly handle the specific words that are used. It requires the pastor to wrestle with the, grammatic, the grammatical things and the syntactical things in the text. It requires a pastor to understand the, the logic and, and the flow of the argument. And resulting in all those right handlings, he will interpret the scripture's meaning not just be able to restate it in his own, own words only, but rather tell you what its meaning is. And then on top of that, before application comes, then the pastor has to go to his theological standards and make sure his interpretation is in line with good historical theology. 1689 would be the place that I myself go, <clears throat> Reformed Baptist theology. Then, after all that work, then he needs to bring real life impacting conclusions. Okay? So good application, in a word, is bringing all the methods of interpretation together properly and then bringing it to bear on a topic, a situation, a season in life, etc., <clears throat> that is not addressed in scripture. Okay? That's what that's what it is. Application is taking something beyond what scripture says in an appropriate way and applying it to your life. That's application. <clears throat> now, a common objection that people have to application in 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 one sense, no one in the evangelical church says I don't like application. Some people say it's their favorite thing. And I'll tell you that for most people, it's the thing that you hate the most because it is intrusive. The second part of application is uh, by its very nature, it comes and addresses your heart. It comes and addresses your mind and your thoughts. It comes and addresses your will and all of your powers. And it says, confess that as sin and change or you need to do better or you need to do something completely different and your your sinful fallen nature says I don't like doing anything different I feel pretty good the way I am <laughs> I like it I'm comfortable here please leave me alone and God will not allow his children to be like sinners and so he wants to make us actually practically righteous in our lives we're not only justified in Christ, but we're also sanctified, or we're to be sanctified, which means we actually become righteous in our living, in our thinking, in our desires, in our actions. And so people have a common objection 
Because <clears throat> sometimes the way that sermons are structured are you do the hard, uh, what you call exegesis. You explain the meaning of the text and show people in the Bible what it, what it says. And then you show them what it means. And then lots of times you illustrate that in some picture that's helpful. And then way down at the bottom, at the very end of the sermon, when you're thinking about your stomach... Then the pastor gets to, well, how does this impact you? And sometimes you don't know how he went from here all the way down to here. And you go like, that's not true. How did, I don't see how you made it. <clears throat> and so uh, this sermon is all intended to, to be focused toward that end <clears throat> because uh, application is a necessary part of our lives as Christians. It's, it's a non-negotiable but the problem that we face, uh, I think, is found in a common objection. I've heard this from pastors who are very like-minded to myself, <clears throat> um, who have been caught in a, uh, not, a bad, uh, 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 not a bad thing, but gospel-centered preaching can sometimes be uh, gospel myopic preaching. A- application sometimes feels like this. Here's the objection. Since application is not directly commanded, application is not directly commanded in Scripture, people have the question, is application binding on the Christian? Or can you take it or leave it? Okay, Or, or is it binding? You have to do it. Okay, That's the question. And I think this is a totally understandable hesitation. <clears throat> For, for various different reasons of which I wrote a whole sermon that I just stashed somewhere and I won't preach. <laughs> it's a legitimate question. However, I think the best, in the best case, what it means is that the person wants to stay obedient to the scriptures. This is a good thing. However, I want to just give you one example why this mindset and this objection is totally off base. Okay? Think if I were going through Genesis 1 and 2. And I was covering the creation of man and woman in the image of God. The basic meaning of the scriptures there is that God created them to share the same humanity, yet he made them distinct and he caused them to have a a different uh, gender. And he's only made two of those, a gender binary. And so I might make an application <clears throat> that you guys, I don't think I have to prove to you, then, then on the basis of Genesis 1 and 2, I would say to our culture that transgenderism as a philosophy is sinful. So it needs to be confessed as sin and repented of and, and disavowed. Then the practices that attend to that philosophy are an abomination to the Lord. Now, <clears throat> what about somebody who holds this same objection? Well, if they are consistent with that same objection, they might be heard saying something terribly wrong, which is, well, the Bible doesn't say transgenderism is wrong. It doesn't say those words, Fred. Surgically altering our gender to look like the opposite is not forbidden in Scripture explicitly. How do you answer that? Well, I, I don't think that I have to... Uh, defend it here, I, I assume you hold my same position, which is the scripture is sufficient to answer that biblical question. Sufficient. 
really, <clears throat> this objection, this original objection that I posed to you, can sound like we're preserving the integrity of the Bible. However, in reality, that objection, when it's held, usually is a functional denial that God's word is sufficient for us today. And we cannot go there. <laughs> Otherwise, we will become exactly like a God-hating culture <clears throat> that is around us in, in this idea of sexuality. So if you can have a pastor say, the, the Bible doesn't say anything about um, uh, same-sex monogamous uh, marriage. And, and I know conservative Presbyterian pastors who say that. <clears throat> and if um, this is what I'm telling you is this is a battleground in our day. It's a battleground. It's something that is ultimately very, very serious. We must understand and hold firm to this truth that I'm going to tell you right now. The God of the Bible has purposed the goal of history and the means of getting there before he ever created. And it's all worked out according to plan A. None of it will ever work out according to plan B. God decrees the end from the beginning, Isaiah 46. And the Bible is designed specifically with all of history in mind. Therefore, we must maintain that God has ordained all of Scripture to authoritatively inform us of all of our duties in every area of life, in every generation, in every nation, until the end of the world. Amen. That's called the sufficiency of Scripture. And many conservative Bible-believing churches functionally deny that. I won't take the time to point it out today, but it is something that I would love for you to not fall into error into because we want to make faithful modern-day application and say it is binding on your mind, on your heart, on your will and your strength when done properly. Okay? When it's done properly, which is hard to do, and it takes a lot of work, and there's areas where there's greater fluctuation. I'm not going to qualify myself to death if you have questions about how tightly you can draw that circle. Um, There are are certain topics that are, are wide in the range of application, and we can't be too particular, and we can only draw the outer boundaries, and there's things that we can be really precise And that's sometimes where the rub is. Okay, now the scripture text. Verse 36 and verse 38. I'm going to just cover pretty much what I covered. And I'm going to, uh, what I'm going to do is is show you what the interpretation of the text was. I'm not going to spend the 15 minutes that I spent before to prove it. I, I hope you go back or you can see it directly in the text. I don't think it's that complicated, but in verse 36, we see, well, we hear these words. Listen to this. Verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Uh, That's what I would title this message. Lord of all. That's that's what Peter's main message is. And he says that 
the, the message of, well, first of all, we saw that the message of the gospel is a message that fulfills the Old Testament. It's a message about the Messiah. It's a message about the Christ, who is the Christ for all, the Messiah for all. And therefore, this gospel message is intended by God from the very beginning to be for the whole world. The gospel is a, a cosmic reality, a global reality. And he describes the message of the gospel, why it's good news, it's a, is it's good news of peace. Beautiful. So in one way, it is world peace. That is a, that is a very Christian answer from those beauty pageant Miss America. Uh, what, do you, what do you want most in, what do you want to see happen in the world? World peace. Uh, they all say world peace, and they're not wrong. In fact, we should say that this is God's mission in the world. It's his cosmic mission. We know that the final estate of God's kingdom will be one of resurrected immortality. We saw that in the text where everything will be fully reconciled and at peace with God. That's the end of all things. That's where it's going. It's beautiful. So this is where the world's going. This is the message of Isaiah and Habakkuk, who both say slightly different language in each, but essentially the same thing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's over everything. Knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's the end. <clears throat> but we also learned in verse 38, I'll read it here. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And, and we showed at that time that this good news of, of peace to the world is also a message concerning the kingdom of God. You remember in Luke, Jesus says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the kingdom of God is a future reality, but it's also a present reality. It's one in which we live currently. <clears throat> and so by the power of the Spirit, Jesus overwhelms and pushes out darkness. That is, he pushes out the kingdom of Satan and establishes his kingdom. <clears throat> that's verse 38 and other verses, but that's the key, key text. <clears throat> now, this raises a question about what the nature of the kingdom currently is. Two texts for you, and then we will, by that point, be ready to hear applications, okay? This is the theology that we're doing right now. And like I said, I could probably preach two more sermons in between, but I want to do it back to back, <laughs> uh, one to the other. Now, <clears throat> he, Hebrews 12, 18, 22, 28. Now, we, uh, by God's providence, have gone through this a number of times recently together. So I won't quote everything and draw all the meaning because we've done it in liturgy for multiple weeks <clears throat> at this point within the last couple months. And so uh, what I want to do is just point out a few things about the nature of God's kingdom here on earth. <clears throat> 
Hebrews 12, 18 says, For you have not come to what may be touched. The kingdom is in its essence, not, not material in the sense that it can be contrasted with the kingdom of God in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the kingdom of God included a temple or, or at different times a tabernacle. It included certain kinds of garments, a certain dietary restriction. It included all of those things that were very tangible, very touchable in that way. It's, it's not like that exactly. Okay, it's slightly distinguished from that. Verse 22, but you, that is Christians who still have the temple standing before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, you, you Christians, <clears throat> you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And he says more, you have come into a kingdom. You have come into the temple city. You've come to the throne of God and Jesus Christ, verse 24, you have come to Jesus Christ, the mediator of a new covenant. This is speaking about their present assembly in the church. Glorious. Now, verse 28 confirms this because it uses the word kingdom. The Bible uses it everywhere, uses it way more than it uses the word church, which is to be distinguished from the kingdom. But verse 28 says, to summarize these things, because there's going to be some terrible shakings that happen according to the prophecies given um, that lead up to AD 70, where the temple was destroyed, if you don't know. In verse 28, because of that shaking that's going to go on, he says, therefore, verse 28, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. One you've come to. One you can't touch in the same way that you could touch the temple. Okay, that's, that's the first text. Second text, this is the positive teaching of what the kingdom is all about. Romans 14, 17. You can mark that down, Romans 14, 17. <clears throat> you, you'll usually remember the kingdom is not about eating and drinking, but uh, positively, the positive statement of that scripture is, The kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. You hear that? There's there's a key thing right here. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Can you touch righteousness, peace, and joy? You cannot. Uh, You cannot in one way and you can in another way. (laughs) We'll get there in a minute. So therefore, we should say that the nature of God's kingdom here on earth currently in this moment, which we sit in right now, right here, we're in God's kingdom, is present as a spiritual, capital A-S, reality. Spiritual reality. Capital S, though. Holy Spirit. What you should not hear me say is that the kingdom is non-physical. I don't primarily mean that, okay? The Bible does not break up the world into physical and and unphysical. It does that sometimes, but it, it mainly is focusing 
on the, the, the spiritual, as in related to Christ by way of the Holy Spirit. It, it means that the kingdom is related to our participation in Christ by the Holy Spirit, which is an individual reality, which is where I want to go, and a corporate reality. It, it, it includes all of us, <clears throat> but it also includes us as individuals. You should understand that the church in the Bible, the ecclesia, is not the same thing as the kingdom. The kingdom includes the church. We are a representation of the kingdom of God, and imperfectly so. Yet it is not exhausted. The kingdom of God is much bigger than that. So, let me start to draw to the application that I'll spend for the rest of the sermon here for the next 20 minutes. <clears throat> this, this brings me to application. <clears throat> we have, this is back in the text, we have experienced uh, vertical peace, and vertical peace begets horizontal peace. And I want to talk about that horizontal peace part. Vertical peace. What am am I talking about? Vertical peace, horizontal peace. The the kingdom of Christ begins by bringing us at peace with God. That's why it's spiritual. I don't have to go to Jerusalem in order to go find peace with God. I'm in Jerusalem right now. I'm in heavenly Jerusalem. Right now, vertical peace is had with God. That is... At one time, we were at war with God, but through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we have had our debts canceled, our sins forgiven, and we have been reconciled with God and brought into an indissoluble, peaceful covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father and the Spirit indissoluable it it can't be dissolved it will always remain that's the covenant we're in called the new covenant in other words we live in humble submission to the kingdom of god at least that's our desire we live in humble submission to the kingdom of god here in our bodies on the earth in our bodies in our souls in our minds with our will because Christ has all authority both in heaven and on earth. He's the king over both, and therefore we obey him in this realm uh, because we don't live in that realm. We live in this realm. But we must immediately recognize that our peace with God immediately uh, really brings horizontal peace with the the world or with the people that are in the world and the systems that are in the world that the kingdom spreads far beyond me and this church it it spreads and encompasses all the other aspects and areas of our life and and this spreading of the kingdom is the job of the christian church can't be executed by us without the power of the spirit 
or without Christ reigning and doing what he does. But it is what God has laid on you and I as individual Christians. That's where I really want to go. The most obvious proof of this, which doesn't take very long to think about, is that the kingdom is spread through personal conversion. That is through evangelism. That person now becomes a citizen of the kingdom and they live in a different way. They believe in a different way. They act in a different way. And they represent God's rule and reign in their bodies, their minds, their souls on earth. That is the kingdom being spread through evangelism. And that is extremely important. I am in no way diminishing that. And in fact, I can't really even say what I'm going to say without that. Because this is the mission of the church. The mission of God is given to... The mission of Christ is given to the church, and that is done in the Great Commission. <clears throat> the second way that this happens is through Christian individuals. That is, we as individuals bring everything that is within our authority under the rule and reign of Jesus. So what it, what it means to... Uh, be in the kingdom of God is to, and to live in a manner that is increasingly in accord with God's kingdom is simply by taking all of my mind, all of my heart, all of my body, and subjecting it to the law of God in the Bible, the law of Jesus Christ, what God has commanded out of each of us, and where somebody is doing that, there the kingdom of God is. Because it's about righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. As it is, it's spiritual and it expresses itself materially. <laughs> it, it, it happens in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts, in our cultures, in our world. <clears throat> Biblically, we could say that Christ is the new head of humanity. The Bible calls him the second Adam. And he picks up the job of the first Adam, whereby he commands that Christians retake dominion over the creation in accordance with his authority and by his gospel. That's your job in the world. Have dominion over the earth according to the gospel. According to God's law, a historical example of the spread of the kingdom so that it starts to become clear. And uh, have you ever uh, you guys have probably all used a a mag light, a mag light. You, You can focus the beam. Essentially, they have a bunch of different contraptions now, but you twist it and it it focuses the beam. I'm going to prove this and show you what I mean by focusing the beam on a historical example and then a, a personal example <clears throat> of the kingdom of God and its, and its spread and its manifestation. A historical example of the spread of the rule and reign of Christ Jesus is in what is credited to William Wilberforce. You know that Wilberforce had a special place in England's history in that he was one of the key pieces in leading the charge to the abolition of slavery in England. 
Okay, and, and that's really what bled over into the Americas. It was this Christian's conviction <clears throat> that, um, uh, that made him zealous to accomplish this. And I ask you, was this a work that extended Christ's kingdom? And I hope you can say, and you're starting to hopefully make this clear, yes. Yes it, yes, it is, because this is Christ's work, which includes the reconciliation of all things to God. It includes extending uh, what is the abolition of slavery other than the extending of the ethics of the kingdom of God to a larger swath of people. The logical conclusion of the New Testament <clears throat> on the equality and dignity of, of humankind with one another, the logical extension and conclusion, the right application, I believe, of that is the abolition of slavery. And so when that ethic takes over in an area, that's an exp expression of the kingdom of God. That's God's kingdom advancing. Slavery is in a, uh, in, in a lot of ways the slave trade especially, which is, is, is the thing that's forbidden in Scripture and Deuteronomy and many other places. Uh, slave trading, trading people this way <clears throat> that it was is an expression of the kingdom of Satan. You see, there's only two kingdoms in the world, and they're both spiritually participated in. You're either participating in the system of the one or the other. And so as God's kingdom spreads, it spreads in its morality. That is in its righteousness. That's what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about joy. And that kind of slavery certainly is not a joyous thing. Now, let me give you a personal example. <clears throat> My family, beam, over there. Focus beam, my personal family. <clears throat> my family at this point now is set up to worship Christ in the morning with thankful prayers and catechizing our kids in the faith. <clears throat> During the day, the law of our house is the Ten Commandments and the grace thereof when transgression is committed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The education that we give to our children in the home is bathed uh, in prayer and explicitly Christian in worldview <clears throat> instruction, though we could improve even on, on curriculum over time, um, we make up for whatever deficiencies are there. The, the evening is capped with fellowship around the table, peace, harmony as a, as a family, followed by family worship where we sing the scriptures, pray the scriptures, Read the scriptures, discuss the scriptures, and pray some more from Genesis to Revelation. We're in Numbers right now. Very juicy content. You should go through Numbers with your kids. No doubt. This household is un under my authority. God has given me charge of this. And under my authority, my household is organized in accordance with the kingdom of God. Is the rule and reign of Christ in my household? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's indeed because my home 
uh, in doing these things is a manifestation of Christ's order, the way that he has designed creation and recreation, or creation and redemption. He reorders creation by his redemption. That's what salvation is, and that's what has happened in my home. So my home, I think, though I desire to grow, is an is a, a representation of the kingdom of God. This is a manifestation of the kingdom of God in our midst right now. There are churches that you can walk into that don't even believe in Christ anymore, and they are a representation of a synagogue of Satan, as the confessions say, or the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the world. That is the sinful order and direction of the world. Now, let me make a qualification here because I know there are lots of folks out there who have a really tough time calling anything that's not an individual person Christian. So these people, I don't know if this is you or not, but they struggle in calling something a Christian school. They have a hard time calling things a Christian family or a Christian business, a Christian whatever, okay? They have a hard time with that. And, and the reason is, I think understandable, because they can't square away that the, the kingdom of God with a measure of imperfection and unbelief. But let's, let me ask you, are you fine with calling yourself a Christian? Do you have a measure of imperfection? And a measure of unbelief? You have no problem calling yourself a Christian. Why can't we call things a Christian church or a Christian school or, dare I say, a Christian nation? In the New Testament, we see that there is plenty of teaching that there are many who will name the name of Christ Unbeknownst to us, they will have a heart that is dead inside. They will not be externally or internally Christian, only, only on the outside. And, and we'll never know until, until the final day. <clears throat> and, and for that reason, we ought to recognize that this age of grace that we live in, even in our best practices, our boldest, most faithful proclamations, day in and day out, in every sphere of life, there will always be a measure of unbelief and imperfection, sadly to say, even in ourselves. Yet, we are in the kingdom of grace now, which is increasing, and that is our mission. That is our job, to take the kingdom and spread it. And we pray, not only for the kingdom to come in that way, but also the kingdom of glory to come, Because the kingdom of glory brings perfection with it. And that's the best. That's what we really want. So hopefully you have, I don't don't expect you to understand everything I've said. I've tried to be as absolutely clear as I've, I've said. You can grow up into this truth. It's okay. It's fine. You grow up into maturity. You can grow up into uh, good theology too. But what you need to do is you need to at least have a a general scope and picture of what I'm talking about and a general, um, even maybe a more accurate understanding than you did before about 
the, the nature of the kingdom, which is a present reality, <clears throat> so that you might identify it with your acting in this world. Okay, because now I'm going to tell you what the kingdom of God is and does. Okay, this is the application nitty gritty stuff. <clears throat> and, and because of time and how much there really is to say about this topic, which comes directly from Acts, that is the, the Jesus pushing out the kingdom of Satan and bringing the kingdom of God as a demonstration with powers over the demonic. <clears throat> Now, <clears throat> I want to tell you what the kingdom does. And if you're doing it, and you, you can apply it further. You are doing the work of the kingdom of God when you have employees. And you seek to provide a wage which allows a man to bring his wife home and raise his children in, in the home and provide a Christian education. Now, that may be really hard to do. I'm not saying do that tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not saying you can do that tomorrow. I, this is an ongoing progressive work, okay? <clears throat> but that is a, a goal that is in line with the kingdom of God, okay? You are doing the work of the kingdom. When you are in a company and you seek to reform the company by, uh, by drawing attention to business practices which need to be improved to more faithfully love your neighbor that you're selling to, that you're marketing to, even if it doesn't affect the bottom line in, in, a, in a way that we usually calculate it. You're doing the work of the kingdom. When you serve your city on city council or in some other way to make it more just, more safe, you encourage the promotion of the gospel and the promotion of uh, and flourishing of righteous businesses and you do your best to legislate out immoral businesses like a centerfolds or immoral businesses like a Planned Parenthood. You don't allow that in your city. That's kingdom work. You're doing the work of kingdom when you have many children. And you labor to raise them immersed in the Christian faith. <clears throat> Counting. I'll do five more. The work of the kingdom is working to fully abolish abortion. To work at tax reform in America. To reform Legislation, same thing really. <clears throat> the work of the kingdom is to build Christian schools. The work of the kingdom is to produce Christian art institutes, which don't allow modern garbage art, but house truly beautiful and skillful oil paintings and sculptures and things that are actually glorious, good, true, and beautiful. The work of the kingdom is to produce music academies, and teach piano so that all the little Christian children can, re, can play the piano and everybody in the house can sing four-part harmonies. The work of the kingdom is to build community gardens and extend 
uh, peaceful places in the world. The, the work of the kingdom is to bring about Christian hospitals that operate on a Christian ethic and are self-funded and not attached to the government. <laughs> That's disaster. Uh, the work of the kingdom ought to all be done explicitly and vocally for the glory of King Jesus. <clears throat> and this takes time. What is it, <clears throat> what, I'm, what I'm saying that it, okay, let me put it this way. And this is where the hard work comes in. This is, I, I'm not talking about something you can, in its fullness, even do tomorrow. This will take you the rest of your life, whatever God's calling is on your life. Let's, let's say it this way. <clears throat> It's not enough for a Christian lawyer to say, hey, let's get Christian lawyers together and have a prayer meeting. You should do that. But what I'm really talking about is how to do law according to the Bible. That is what it means to be fully submitted. So maybe in a realm you're more familiar with, with education. It's not enough to get a bunch of teachers together to pray uh, as educators and pray for their children. That's good. You should do that. But what I'm actually talking about is to bring curriculum itself under the rule and reign of Christ. Okay. What I'm talking about is every single last little detail of your life to be informed and specifically for the promotion of the, the peace, joy, righteousness in the Holy Spirit, which is ultimately accomplished not by us. You can think, man, Fred, <clears throat> that's overwhelming. Yes, it is. You want to know why? <laughs> uh, can, you, you picture this. Jesus says, has his apostles, and then he has others surrounding. It says his disciples. He has his apostles and disciples in Matthew 28 on the mountain. And, it, and some are doubting. Even in that moment where Christ is resurrected and stands before him and he says, Now, behold, I have authority in heaven and on earth. All power is given to me, and therefore, you go and disciple the nations. Teach them to obey Christ, baptize them, and this people, 120 of them that were in the upper room, <clears throat> go, yeah, Jesus, that's, that's a good, good plan at all, <laughs> but some of us over here are not totally believing, they're <laughs> waffling, in their commitment, and <clears throat> Lord, we don't we don't have we don't have any any Christian culture at all. We're, we're it. How are we going to disciple the nations? And He says, "Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." That's the key here. The whole book of Acts is for this purpose. The book of Acts opens and closes with the kingdom of God. If you don't understand anything else in my sermons, I want you to understand that Acts is about the kingdom of God, namely the spread of the kingdom of God <clears throat> in one particular way. 
and we, we need to make it even broader. <clears throat> but Christ, by the Spirit, uses you to extend his kingdom. The Holy, Christ is with you, too, to the end of the age. You have the Holy Spirit. That is the Spirit of Christ. Christ is in you. And therefore, the, the ultimate power that brings this about in your life, which can be extremely daunting. You know your own sinfulness. You know how far away uh, your businesses are or your, your associations are from fully conforming to the Word of God. That's a daunting task. But it is Christ in you who does the work. You, you are a, hopefully a happy participant in being the means. I hope you've seen, shared the gospel and seen somebody come to faith. Who ultimately did that? It wasn't them. It wasn't you. It was God. But he used you and he used them and his providence to work it all out. And all you have to do from this day on is to say, okay, what has God given me? How do I do this and, and bring about Christ's word? How is this thing best used according to the scriptures? How do I push forward peace and joy and righteousness in one small way in the earth? How do I do that in my handling of God's creation? If you're, if you're a farmer, you work with, uh, or if you work with animals, how, how do I, um, uh, you know, I don't want to conflate it with sustainability or anything like that, but how do, I, how do I manage God's resources that he's given to me? I have resources, I have a family that I'm responsible for. You have other things that you're responsible for. What are those things? List them out on a paper and say, how does every aspect of this become a greater manifestation of the kingdom of God? And that is our task in the world. And uh, we have to be explicit about Christ and his gospel and his law because that doesn't happen at all unless hearts are transformed, minds come into submission to the will of God, including our own. Let us pray.